0: Amen. Well, you can take your seats, everybody. How are you this morning? How many grandparents have we got here in the room today? You can only be one grandparent at a time. I'm sorry, okay? Got it. I What I want to know is if you are um, a grandparent who this year had your first grandchild. Anybody? Did I see a hand back there? Was that you? Okay, I'm coming at you. No, it's, it's a good thing. If there's one thing that I like more than buying books and reading them, is buying books and giving them away. So I'm giving you a book called Extreme Grandparenting by Tim and Darcy Kimmel. It's an excellent book. I think you'll, you will really enjoy it. And is this your husband here? Yes, sir. Make him read it. <laughs> I know, uh, women, wives buy books for their husbands, and they very seldom ever read them. That's not my wife's problem, for sure. All right, now, the reason I'm talking about grandparents is because we got a question on this, you know, this series of what what does God have to say about, and it was, you know, grandparents, what's God in the Bible got to say about it, and it just happens to be a question I can actually know something about. Um, I preached a family series, you know, husbands, wives, moms, dads, children, everything, and when I did that, uh, I was reminded by a friend of mine, who said, you know, what about grandparents? How do they fit in? I thought, that's a really excellent question. And so this is really that sermon, and uh, what I want to do is talk about grandparenting because, you know, as a grandparent, will you have that slide up there. Can I do it? Oops, I did it, and he did it. Here it is grandparents, guess what? You're not done yet. You still have work to do. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's the title of a great book, by the way. I'd recommend it too. If you're not dead, you're not done. When our grandchildren were old enough to hang out with my father He would he would do things. He would they were in their teens and and he would go and meet them and take them to lunch. He never did that with me. (laughs) He he would take them for coffee. I'm going to what am I, chop liver? So we would go to his house and and they would have a great time together talking and, and doing all sorts of things, and invariably, when we left. We'd all pile into the car, and my father would come out and he would lean in the in the window and he'd look at me and say, you know, Bob, if I knew grandparent, if I knew grandkids were so much fun, I would have had them first. <laughs> I said, Thanks, Dad. I don't know why you're saying that. He goes, Oh yeah, why? Because you and our daughters have a common enemy. Me. But you know, I realized from observing my father with our daughters, there was a kind of calm, pleasant joy in just being with them. That's not something he had when I was growing up. Um, He he was was a little A-type and really on edge about some things sometimes. Because I I know it was really my brother's fault mostly, and, and I knew that was the case, but when we had Uh, these daughters, he just relaxed. He relaxed with them. And I just thought, you know, that's that's a great gift to our daughters. The average grandparent today is about 50 years old. The first time grandparent. Now I know there's, you know, on either side of that. But grandparents today are younger than they were many decades ago. Younger physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, it is probably really true that sixty is the new forty in our in our day, and you know lifestyles have changed dramatically, uh, my grandparents were born at the turn of the twentieth century, and so uh they they were they were blue collar workers um, they they walked uh just a few miles uh from work to home they they didn 't always They never had two cars, I'll tell you that for sure. Um, They they were of the generation that uh, washed their own cars, re-roofed their own houses. But the thing that they knew was that on the calendar, there was a day when they could retire and they would live the rest of their life on Social Security. And that's not true anymore, at all. So a lot has changed between generations. My generation and the previous generation—just think how differently grandparents are today. We have pictures of our grandkids on our phones. In fact, uh, Nita was showing our granddaughter off, who went to her prom uh, in a in a a, a, a a black a black dress, but she had she had these sort of aqua high tops on. You know, I mean that's 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 really cool. <laughs> What was really cool is that the boy she went with had the same color tie, and I know she made him do it. (laughs) But think about your grandparents, if you're my age, think about your grandparents. They didn't have phones like that. You know, they were not on the wall. (laughs) My grandmother had black and white pictures in a photograph book on her coffee table. That's That's just a generation apart. So I want to talk to us this morning about grandparenting, because God still has a purpose for us grandparents, and I want us to step it up a bit as grandparents, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as grandparents, we have a tremendous role, even an obligation, as we interact with our grandchildren, and so I pray today that you will encourage us, inspire us, correct us if we need it, to be the kind of grandparents that you have called us to be according to your word. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen. Now, Kimmel, in that book, makes a point of saying that grandparent, the the name grandparent is a noun, but grandparenting is a verb, and so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what grandparents do, and there's a, a command out of Scripture that is for parents, but I think applies also to grandparents. It's in Deuteronomy 6. And these are the words that I command you today. It shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and I would add your grandchildren, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So what I want to frame here for us is that grandparents have a unique calling to be torchbearers of the grace of God in the lives of their grandchildren. Grandchildren ought to be able to study us. They ought to be able to imitate us because we have this God-given mission that never ends, and that is to show that the life of following Jesus can finish strong regardless of the circumstances on the road that's ahead of them. Now the outline for this sermon is really just four words and I've taken it directly from Tim Kimmel's book. I thought it was so good. There was no way I could improve on it. But he outlines four assets that grandparents have in the lives of their grandchildren. Maturity, aptitude, perspective, and love. So we'll deal with them one at a time. First of all, maturity. Maturity means mature, just not necessarily just older. You know, by the time that you have grandchildren, you are already earning your Ph.D. and the degree, is nothing new under the sun. Your gray hair, that's your diploma. God's wisdom, that's the course of instruction that you've taken. Now, I know there's no guarantee that getting older makes you wiser, but the biblical culture seems to indicate that ought to be the outcome for people who are called grandfather or grandmother. That gray hair is considered maturity from which younger generations can draw um, advice and wisdom. This is what it says in Proverbs. Gray hair is a crown of glory. And every gray-haired guy in the church said, amen. And it's gained in righteous life. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Hallelujah. Yeah, I love being a gray-haired guy and telling younger guys, hey, want to move that table for me? See, that's wisdom. It is. So the Bible anticipates and expects us as grandparents to mature to be people that will be helpful to our grandchildren. Now, the question that came to my mind at this point was how do we gain that? I mean, when I was a younger man, I wasn't even thinking about being a grandparent. I was just trying to get through life. But as I look back at it, there there is a way that we gain maturity and wisdom uh, almost, almost by not realizing it. So I thought, well, what would it take to become the kind of grandparent to whom the grandchildren would look for uh, godly advice? Well, it's very simple, I think. It starts by learning from every test where God has worked faith into your life. See, this is what James said. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Well, that's what our grandchildren want. They want us to be steady. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. And there is the word, the Greek word for mature. It's just translated perfect here. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You know, if you think back on your early Christian days, if it was anything like ours, you faced life learning how to face life by walking in faith, and it wasn't easy. It was more like on-the-job training. You faced life, and uh, you probably didn't respond very well like a Christian would, and in every case, you'd fall down, you'd mess up, you'd make the situation worse, you'd reach out for somebody's help, they'd help you to stand up, and then you'd put one foot in front of another, and you'd carry on. And when you were in midlife, you were in mid-semester course, because now you're beginning to learn how to depend on God in the testing times. And with each test, your passing grade gets a little bit better, you learn a little bit more about God and his faithfulness, and you grow in the strength of dependence, the strength of dependence on God. That's the growth. Now, when you think about it, if you look at the life of Abraham in the Old Testament, you will see a man who did exactly that. He was a man who was called out of a pagan culture by a God he knew nothing about. And if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, like I did not, and you were called to, to, to Christ, you were called out of a pagan culture, and I thought, well, I don't know what this is, but here we go. And then you started to realize, wow, there's some things going on, and I would mess up all the time. I would not trust God, I'd make stupid choices, I'd make mistakes um, that were all born out of fear, But as Abraham progressed in his faith, even through all of the mistakes that he made, by the time he gets to the end of his life, he's got enough trust in God to know that if God calls me to sacrifice my son, I can do it. Now, that was awesome. But he didn't get there overnight. It took years of learning how to depend on God. So when you were younger, just like Abraham, you might not have known much about the Bible, but you did little things along the way. It's always the little things that matter. Like you read the Bible every day. You prayed every day. You worshiped together with the saints on the weekends. You maybe joined a small group or two. You took a Bible course. Along the way, as you did that, something, I'll call it mysterious. It's not really a mystery, but it's amazing. It's a mysterious thing that takes place. And what takes place is you begin putting the pieces together of who God is and you get a grander picture of God and his son and the salvation in which you now stand. Over time, the scriptures are shaping the way that you're thinking and they're guiding you to new responses for your life situations. And at that time, you possess a hope that feels real. This is precisely what our grandchildren need. You know, they may not listen to their parents, you didn't, but they may listen to you. And so when life seems to pile up on them, they, wanna, they may reach out to you and ask you to help them experience what they're going through by the years that you've had. I, uh, just this week, our uh, granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter, uh, sent, sent me a text. Sh- she texts, I email <laughs> This is the only way, I can't, I just, I can't. here, she asked me a question, how do you deal with doubt, and how do you deal with assurance? Now, this can't be in a text, I got to email, She's, and then she sends back, oh yeah, by the way, you can email, <laughs> I said, thank you. You know what that was a great joy i looked forward to the time when i could sit down at my laptop and i could pound out some good solid biblical answers so that she can give these answers to her friend these weren't questions she had she has a friend who had these questions and she's asking me for help this is a great joy this is exactly why i'm here for her now when we were in uh, idaho where they live um before we left, we took them all out to coffee and, and some pastries, like, you know, for breakfast. And I, and I knew I was going to preach this sermon, so I just had this idea. And, I, and, I, and so we sat down, and I said, hey, you guys, would you help me with my sermon? And they went, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Okay, what do we got to do? Well, what I want you to do is to think like a grandchild for a minute. And if you had the opportunity to tell grandparents in your church or my church, what you would want from them, what would you say? And I said, I won't need this for you know, a couple of months, don't worry about it, but I will call in my, my um, uh, chits on you. And so I asked them to do it and they sent me a video and Steve, Steve Diane put it together really well and, and I'm gonna show you that video right now. Our, our four grandchildren, the, the first guy you'll see is Philip and then uh, I believe it's Grace And then it's Josiah, he's the youngest, with the Dr. Pepper t-shirt. And then there is Ruth. Okay, so those are our four grandkids. And you know, I know, I know, you probably have pictures of your grandchildren on your phone. I have a video. Just remember that.
1: Hello, my name is Philip Crust. I am Bob Anita's grandson, or as I like to call them, Nani and Bobby. Uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and also an attender of Boise State University, Go Broncos!
2: Hi, I'm Grace, Um, and I did a lot of thinking about the role of grandparents in my life and just in um, lives of people my age in general. And one of the most important things I think that grandparents have to offer for us is spiritual guidance and wisdom. Um, They're older than us, for sure, they're also older than our parents, and so they've lived a lot more life than we have. And in today's day and age where everything seems new, uh, having that wisdom rooted in um, a deep, healthy, spiritual life is really, really important. The way my grandparents have helped me most is definitely spiritually. They're both very godly people, and I aspire to be like them. They're both very patient and calm. They have become very godly figures in my life, and they show me what it means to walk in Jesus and be a part of his family and kingdom, and what it means to love people, and even though they might annoy you, and what it means to serve people with a happy heart. I think the best way that you can be involved in your grandchild's life emotionally and spiritually is praying for them, and, um, asking them, like, what do they need prayer for?
1: So one of the first things that my grandparents do for me um, that has been helpful in many, many ways is prayer. Um, People, I think, can underestimate the power of prayer for someone, Um, but I am here to tell you that prayer is fundamental uh, in someone's spiritual journey, whether it's you praying or someone else praying for you.
2: Um, There's been so many times in just the past two years since I went off to college where I've called my grandparents or texted or emailed or even written letters to them asking um, about just how to navigate life, how to navigate life spiritually, Um, stuff like I'm learning how to pray and asking them about that or hot topic issues for my generation such as um, transgender issues uh, and that whole mess. But my grandparents have done a really good job of being um, very consistent, steady spiritual leaders in my life um, and sharing their wisdom in a very loving way. My favorite thing is waking up to a little text message every morning with a scripture verse. And I just feel especially loved by them. And it's calming to go to bed every night knowing that they're praying for me.
1: So their prayer has been very important for me. I'll never forget. I was going into uh, state for track and field um, and I was super nervous because my times weren't where I wanted them to be. Um, and I was very anxious about this. And so I texted um, my grandma, Nani, because uh, I know she always prays for me. And I asked her if she could pray for me about this because I was working. And she prayed for me and she also sent me a prayer that I myself could say because I didn't really know what to pray at this point. I remember right before my race um, praying this prayer and being flooded with a huge sense of just relief knowing that at the end of the day god's in control of everything and that um, no matter what happens when i lose i'm still loved by jesus and so i went out and i ran the best race i could and i ended up taking second overall uh, or third overall which was a very huge accomplish for me, accomplishment accomplishment Um, so their prayer has, has just, it's a way to show, it's a way to show God's love um, by praying
2: for someone. And being like invested in what they're doing and making sure you're spending time to get to know like what, what they're doing in life and how it's going. And just on a weekly basis, being able to like have some time to talk to them, even if it's just like a quick text.
0: So, so. It is true what they say. Parents have naming rights to their kids, but the grandkids have naming rights to their grandparents. Don't anybody call me Bobby. (laughs) Okay, We got a deal. It's it's our secret, all right? All right, so that's the first asset, and that is maturity. The second one is aptitude. Uh, You know, by the time you're a grandparent, uh, you've had a few laps around the track. Kimmel's um, explanation of having experience or aptitude born of experience, he says this, you know that you can raise a family on a shoestring. You know that no matter how crazy the children may act, eventually they'll calm down and fall asleep. And you know from experience that you can endure more than you thought you could. And that is really the case. Just a few weeks after uh, our, our daughter and son-in-law with their children moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where he could go to seminary. They went there, he didn't have a job, they didn't have a car that barely cooperated any time. They really didn't know a whole lot of people. And uh, our daughter uh, was really very, very anxious about this and she would call home, talk with Nita, and they would pray on the phone. And then eventually Nita got the idea to Shana, why don't we? why don't we spend the next 30 days We'll call each other. You call me, I'll call you, and we'll pray. And we'll just pray over everything that's going on over the next 30 days. And something marvelous happened. God just sort of got involved. And he calmed down Shauna. Phil got a job. They got a, you know, their car was, I mean, passable, I suppose. Um, But by the end of that 30 days, Shauna was no longer in a panic because she didn't want to let Phil down and she didn't want to panic the kids. And that, that helped her immensely because she saw, not just because we prayed, but because she saw that God provided in a way they needed. That was important for her. That was a measure of growth of faith. And that is the real value of having this experience. Because the same things happen to us, right? And so basically all Shauna could tell her was, you know what, we've been through that. And here's what we did, and here's what God did. Now let's pray. Grandparents, you are strategically placed in the lives of your grandchildren to build their faith. Now remember what Paul wrote to Timothy. He reminded Timothy of the faith of his mother, Eunice. He also reminded him of the faith of his grandmother, Lois. Because these two women together shaped the faith of Timothy. And this is what our grandchildren need to see in our lives. How a life that's lived by trusting in the promises of God, even when it looks darkest, is the only way to live. Our successes and our failures become the platform from which we speak. So the question then becomes, how are we supposed to gain this aptitude? What is it that we could do? Well, I want you to think back on all of the experiences that you've had in your life where God has helped you and you've navigated through them with his help. Look for common themes. For, for me, Anita, the, the common themes throughout our life was the problem with finances and health issues. Always, that seemed to be where we ended up with, with um, challenges. But later on, after the challenge was over, we would, we would think through all of this. We just ask some basic questions like, what happened? What did we do? How did we respond? How did that go for us? What did God do? And the most important question, what did we change from that point on going forward? Everything you discover in that kind of analysis is for the benefit of the next generation, not just you, but for the next generation. Store it up, write it out, keep it somewhere as a, in a, like in a safe. So we have the assets of maturity, the assets of aptitude, and also the ap, ap, uh, asset of a perspective. Uh, in in uh, the Rocky Mountains, there is uh, an area up in the high country that's called the timberline, and that's about 12,000 feet. And above 12,000 feet, no trees grow, no firs, no aspen, nothing. It's just bald mountain all the way to the top, whatever that top might be. As a grandparent, that's where you stand. You stand above the timber line and you can look down and you can see the pathway that your children and your grandchildren are walking And From that position, you have the ability to help them face and walk through all that forest that they're in at that point. You have that perspective. A perspective is just a mental view of the facts, the ideas, and how they interrelate. And that's the perspective you get as you grow in aptitude and maturity. Now, Randy Alcorn even writes about the perspective that we have as Christians that the world does not have, and that is an eternal perspective. We, can, we know what's out there in the, in, the, in the future for us. We see that. We live our lives in the light of that out there that God has promised for everyone who trusts in Christ. And here is what Randy Alcorn writes about the importance of cultivating an eternal perspective, most of us see no further than the horizons of this world. To correct our short-sightedness, God prescribes a vision correction that allows us to look through the lens of eternity. And suddenly we realize that this present life is but a brief window of opportunity to invest in what will last for eternity. Paul tells us pretty much the same thing, but this way. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. So let's just state the obvious. Grandparents have had a head start in the race of life. We're further down the track, but by then we should be more tempered by an eternal perspective. And the more time that we have behind us than we have in front of us means that we start putting things into their proper perspective. Things that we thought were really big things, they take their proper place. You know, this is nothing more than Pastor Jamie's rope of hope. This is exactly that principle that he he, uh, mentions uh, during his sermons. And those things that you thought were not important they start taking on a lot greater importance. And they add to the important character development of your life, like reading the Bible. You just don't think that's a big deal? I read the Bible every day. I just do it. It's a thing I do. I pray every day. It's just a thing I do. I come into fellowship with the worship, uh, fellowship and worship with the saints on the weekends. That's just a thing I do. I share my faith. I give generously of my time and talents. Just things I do. But those are little things that bad, uh, build up to a very big meaningful development of your character. They may not seem like much at the time, but they are the things that are eternal and they last. Now living in the light of eternity also will change our attitudes. Alcorn says this, recognizing our future life is on a resurrected earth can help, us, can help empower us to stick with a difficult marriage, to persevere in the hard task of caring for an ailing parent or child, or to stay with a demanding job. Moses stayed faithful to God because he was looking ahead to the reward. You can do the same thing. Nina and I have done it often. We take stock of our past experiences, big and small, and we we look for the meaning in them to give us courage to look forward, to see the reliability of Christ going forward. So we've had some really big things and then a little thing. And if I had had the presence of mind at the time, I would have flipped them around. I would have put the big things at the bottom and the little things on top. Let me explain why. When Nita was uh, four months pregnant with our oldest daughter, she got food poisoning and had to go to the hospital for about a week. And somewhere along that time, um, the doctor came in and recommended that she have an abortion because nobody should put up with a deformed child, and he was sure that would happen. Nita summarily dismissed the doctor from the room. Just one word, no, and a finger point. And when a mom points her finger, you listen. Shana was fine, absolutely perfect. Thank you. And she still is, but I'm a little prejudiced. Or take, for example, having a a daughter who's allergic to just about everything under the sun. So I could guarantee you when we were on vacation anywhere in the country, we'd had to go to the hospital. Or a wife who, in her mid-30s or so, has a brain aneurysm. Very serious. God healed her. Those were big things. It was like, how do we get through this? But then there was this little thing and I would have switched these all around. The little thing was this. When your daughter fails to make the cheerleading team for the second year in a row, seems like a little thing, but you know what is a big thing for a father and a big thing for a grandfather as well. Okay, so we have maturity, aptitude, perspective, And the final asset that we have as grandparents is love that feels comfortable. (laughs) I know, I know. We're fluffy. I get that. Grandparents are fluffy. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that we are people who have been seasoned by life's experiences and shaped by the spirit of God's sanctifying work. And the years of all those struggles to walk faithfully with God should rub us to uh, rub, rub off on us the love of God. Be more loving, more accessible, more comfortable. Just like the velveteen rabbit. Pretty good transition, huh? How many of you know about the velveteen rabbit? How many of you have never heard the story of the velveteen rabbit before? Great. Well, you're gonna. So here's the story. There is a boy who was given a toy at Christmas, and it was a velveteen rabbit and instead of playing with a rabbit he played with all the shiny mechanical toys that he had Uh, but there was this one toy that he had that was the uh horse the um uh uh what was he the skin horse that was his name skin horse Now this this story was written by marjorie williams and it's a tale about how a child's toy becomes real so the boy doesn't play with a velveteen rabbit he plays with all these other toys, and the central point of the story takes place in a dialogue between the velveteen rabbit and the skin horse. The skin horse has got bald patches on him, his hair has been pulled out, um, the tail is virtually missing, and so the horse, who is wise in his old age, told the rabbit that a toy becomes real when it's loved by its owner. The, tin horse, the skin horse said, when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. So the rabbit said, well, does it hurt? Well, sometimes, said the skin horse, because he always told the truth. But when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Well, does it happen all at once, or just bit by bit? Well, it doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. It doesn't happen often to people who break easily or who have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. (laughs) And your eyes drop out. And you get loose in the joints and very shabby. Sounds like grandparents, doesn't it? But the skin horse says, but those things don't really matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except the people who don't understand. Seasoned by God's love, we are now able to love our children in a way uh, that we probably would not have when they were growing up with us and we can love our child our grandchildren this way now Now I, I want to make a plea to the church to us to Cornerstone We've talked about being Grandparents being a sounding board for our grown children especially for our older grandchildren But the church needs sounding boards as well And there's a natural untapped ministry in the life of the church, and that is from the older members. Here's what Paul wrote about that to uh, Titus. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. There's that maturity, that, that solidness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So we don't have this culture in our society. We have in our society a peer-driven culture, not an intergenerational culture, and we are the poorer for it. But the Bible calls the church to something much better than the culture. The older generation of the church must walk in humility and service rather than criticizing the younger generation or hiding away in, in uh, retirement. The older generation has to be ready to serve the younger generation as a godly resource to be tapped. Now the younger generation likewise has to learn to walk in humility before the older generation and look to them and ask them for the advice that they need for practical Christian living. Now, I've, I've been here, I, I forget how long, almost, almost five years, I, whatever it is. But when I came, I want you to understand something. The staff that I work with and the elders with whom I work, some of them are young enough to be my children. And I thought, wow, I wonder what this is going to be like. And I've jokingly said to people, you know, they'll say, well, why do they hire you? You're an old guy. You should be retired by now. And I said, well, I don't know. They probably just want me to say, you know, I tried that one time. I wouldn't advise it at all. Don't go, don't go there. But that's, that's, that's maybe a minor part of it. But I'll tell you what my experience has been. They actually want to hear the things that I have to say. They don't, they don't do them. I'm not a dictator but they listen, and they consider, and they think about it. And this is what Paul said the church was supposed to be like. The older generation saying, you know what? Listen to this story. And the younger generation listening and going, okay, I think I see God in here. And that's what I want. I want to see God do things. And I am um, making the case and pleading with you as a church, don't let the culture tell us how to relate to one another intergenerationally. Hey, you older, you older gray-haired guys, make friends with the younger guys who still have their wonderful hair. You older ladies, with your wonderful colored hair, Just saying, careful, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm not going to ask. I'm not even going to open my eyes. Just love on those younger ladies in the church and teach them how to love their husbands, their children, and God as well. That's my plea. If that happens here, and you know what? It does kind of happen here, but we could just do more of it. But if that happens here, we will be a torchbearer of the grace of God to the culture as well as to our own families. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with each of our children and grandchildren on our minds, these loved ones who are precious to us and more so to you. And we ask that you would bless them with good health sound minds, healthy emotions, and loving hearts toward you, toward their family and friends. We pray that you will guide them and guard them in the challenging world that they face. Help them to love you passionately and to serve you faithfully all the days of their lives. Equip us to be godly grandparents who you created us to be. We want to model the faith that we have in Jesus to them so that they will be encouraged to put their hope in God in the early years of their lives. And when they're discouraged, may they trust you for their future and develop that perseverance that comes with facing it by being dependent on you. And when difficult times arise in their life, help us to remember that all their days are on your hands and that you have all the answers that they need. And so, Lord, we lift up each one of our grandchildren to you. We lift up our grown children to you. And we pray that they will develop a strong prayer life as they grow in their faith. And above all, may they seek your guidance in everything that they do. And may Jesus' love shine through them to everyone that they know. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Well, let's all stand and sing together before we go.